0: Every morning when I wake up, I have to remind myself that my attacker won't be able to hurt me today. If I don't tell myself that that, I simply cannot get out of bed. Since I was assaulted, I've lost the full function of my right leg. I still have to go to the doctor for physical therapy and they fear that I still won't be able to walk the same. I used to love to run until my attacker took that away from me. It hurts emotionally and physically to even make it to work in the morning. When I drive past the place all of this happened, I try not to shake in fear. I can't sleep most nights because of nightmares of my attacker. I so desperately want my life back, the life I had before he took it away. Now, just to be clear, those are not my words. Those words are taken from a victim impact statement. Uh, When someone has been convicted of a serious crime, the victim is encouraged to write such a statement, and is often read by them or perhaps by someone else at the time of sentencing. Now, that seems right, doesn't it? It seems and feels very just Uh, to allow the person whose life was most affected by a crime to express their hurt and pain uh, that that crime has caused them. Well, in one sense, that is what we find right here in the Word of God. Uh, Habakkuk 2, verses 6 through 20, reads just like a victim impact statement. Uh, What we read here are God's words. Uh, They express God's judgment. Uh, But rather than him speaking those words himself, he puts those words on the lips of someone else. Did you notice? Uh, These words are spoken by those who have been violently and shamefully treated. These are the words of the victims. And what this reveals is the great justice of God. Now consider the background of this. Let me provide a brief outline of what we have seen so far in the book of Habakkuk. As we've said, this book takes the form of a Q and a with God. Habakkuk questions God, and his first question was this, why doesn't God do something about the sin of his people? Uh, Doesn't God care about corruption within his church? Uh, And the answer God gave was yes, yes, he does. Uh, But the surprising thing is what God intended to do about that. Uh, God reassures Habakkuk he's going to act uh, to deal with Judah's sin. He's going to raise up an even more sinful nation against them, uh, the nation of Babylon. And that raises Habakkuk's second question, uh, the one that we considered last week. God is going to fight fire with fire. He's going to fight sin with sin. But how can that really be possible? How can a holy God use such horrendous things? And where will it ever end? Is history just going to be sin on top of sin on top of sin? That's often how it can feel. But last week, we began to see the first part of God's answer to that question. And we considered how God has given us his word to comfort and reassure us. Uh, Through his word, he comforts and reassures us amid our pain. And in his word, he calls on us to wait, uh, to wait on him. In other words, we're invited to live by faith, by faith, not by sight, to trust in what God says, even amid life's confusing realities. And that was the first part of God's answer. It, It ministered to me, and I hope it ministered to you. Uh, but today, we look at the second half, uh, because in many ways, what we're provided with here is a much clearer picture. Uh, today, God reassures us that there will be a glorious end. Uh, in this passage, it is like there is a huge screen. In fact, there is indeed a huge screen uh, right here. But, uh, but on this screen, God is projecting a video of the future. Uh, Habakkuk 2 is, is almost like a time machine. God knows the end from the beginning, and and for a moment he invites us to experience that end with him. And that future includes the full manifestation of the justice of God. In the future, God will fully and finally judge all evil. You see, this is the hope. This is what we're waiting for God to do, is it not? We're waiting for Jesus Christ to come with his mighty angels and archangels, and we're looking for him to open the books Uh, to call on everyone to give an account. Uh, God sees everything, even the thoughts of our hearts, and one day, this is the hope, one day God is going to go through history with a fine-tooth comb. He's going to deal with even the smallest thought, word or deed, in which there was even the slightest trace of evil. And this is what God has said he's going to do. In fact, it is written in stone, When? We don't know. But that it will happen is absolutely and utterly inevitable. And so in Habakkuk 2, we are projected forward into that day. And this is the wonderful thing, I think. We view that day from a very particular perspective. And not from God's perspective, nor from the perspective of the perpetrators. But rather we view that from the perspective of the victims themselves. Uh, Here we have a victim impact statement. In fact, it's more than that, because God allows the victims to declare his sentence on those who commit evil against them. Uh, The king of Babylon is ruthlessly gathering for himself all nations, as we read in verse 5. But on that final day, look at verse 6. Take a look. Uh, Shall not all all these nations take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles? And what will they say? What will the sentence be when they declare it? Well, hopefully you notice as we read it, there are five, five things, five woes they'll declare in this passage. Uh, let me spell these out. This is the sentence. Firstly, the plunderers will be plundered. The plunderers will be plundered. Uh, secondly, the safe will be squashed. Uh, the safe will be squashed. Uh, thirdly, sinners will be swept away. And fourthly, those who have shamed others will be subject to shame themselves. And fifthly and finally, here is the final blow. When this just judgment comes, nothing in which they have trusted will be able to help them. Plunderers will be plundered. The safe will be squashed. Sinners will be swept away. Shamers will be shamed. And finally, we could say idolaters will be isolated. They'll be left cut off, helpless before the judgment of God. Oh, how great a picture we have here of the justice of God. That he would allow the victims to declare these very things against those who have hurt them so deeply. And so let's look more closely at what they say. And now I realize there's a lot to look at here. So just in case you're nervous, I'm going to cover each of these points quite briefly. But firstly, notice how the plunderers are plundered. The plunderers will be plundered. That's what's going on in verses 6 through 8. 8. Uh, Look at those verses again, starting halfway through verse 6. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself up with pledges. And the point here is that Babylon has been plowing through the nations, plundering their best resources, taking for themselves their very best people, Uh, creating dependency by indebting those nations on themselves, enriching themselves but leaving a trail of poverty behind them. And now with shame, I actually think of the way the British Empire did the same thing. Uh, Plundering large parts of Africa and and traveling on all the way to India. And for how long? Well, this is the point. God will bring it to an end. Uh, Look at verse 7. We read there, there'll be an uprising, just as there often has been. Uh, Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Uh, then what will happen? Well, then you will be spoiled for them. And this is the point. Look down at verse 8. Uh, here we get a picture of the justice of God. Uh, because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. Uh, this is the point. Listen, if you steal, if you take things that are not your own, then, then one day God will take what is yours from you. Whether it's armed robbery or just cheating on your taxes, those who plunder others will be plundered by God because he is just, and he'll often even use those you've plundered to plunder you. And now this might sound strange, that that God would get even in this way, that God would somehow settle a score. Uh, It might even be that we think that we can get away with certain things in this life, but one day, this is the point, when Jesus Christ comes back, uh, you better believe it, if you have plundered others, that will come back to bite you. The plunderers will be plundered. That's the first thing we see here. But secondly, notice how the safe will be squashed. Uh, By that I mean uh, those who've pursued their own safety at the expense of others. Uh, By safe, I mean those who have climbed on top of others to get ahead. In fact, that is what verse 9 is all about, isn't it? This is the crime, verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. Now, it could be by invading lands or overthrowing governments like Babylon, or perhaps a contemporary example would be Russia. Or it could be as simple as this. It could be uh, the person who ruins your reputation at work. Why? Well, so they can secure their own promotion. Driven by pursuit of their own safety and security. This seems to be what motivated Babylon. Uh, It's what motivates so much of what we do, if we're honest, personally, relationally, in politics, perhaps even at church. Who doesn't want to be financially secure? Who doesn't want to consolidate their power? Who doesn't want to advance themselves personally or professionally? And yet the problem is this often comes at someone else's expense, doesn't it? If there are only so many slices of the cake to go around, surely we'd be better off if I had a, a couple of slices. Or perhaps even better, if I was the one who cuts and controls the cake, that would be even better. And yet here is the thing, those who achieve safety in that way, those who seem safe, uh, well, look at what will happen to them. Uh, Look down at verse 10 with me. Uh, You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. Uh, You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork will respond. Uh, Now what's going on here? What does this mean? The stone's crying out, the woodwork responding. Uh, Why would the house they have built to keep them safe be making so much noise around them? Uh, Well, I think this is a picture, a a dramatic picture of that house actually coming crumbling down. Uh, What is meant to keep them safe is actually falling down on top of them. And i got to say, I absolutely love this. I actually think this is a great picture. Maybe that means there's something off with me. I don't know. But this idea of being crushed by the very thing in which you trusted and through which you exploited other people, does not, that, doesn't that sound like perfect justice to you, that people would fall into the trap they set for other people? And we've seen this happen in history. People become victims of their own success. Uh, For the person who has fought hard, who has trampled on others to get to the top, well, there's only one direction for that person to go next. Uh, Have you ever been trampled on in that way by someone? Well, if so, one day God will invite you to take up your taunt against them. Uh, The plunderers will be plundered. The safe will be squashed. And thirdly, notice how the sinners will be swept away. Uh, What do I mean by that? Well, I mean uh, those who build their lives on sin will find themselves one day on the wrong side of history. And now the wrong side of history argument is often used against Christians, isn't it? Uh, Get with the times. That's what people say. A society has plunged into a flood of debauchery and perversion. So what are you waiting for? Don't just stand there waiting for the waves to hit you. Come in and join us. Uh, understand uh, where history is heading. Uh, that's what people say. Uh, but where is history heading? That's what we learn in Habakkuk 2, and it's not what we might expect. Uh, in verse 12, we read this. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Now, just to be clear, he isn't talking about New York City there. Um, he's talking about the city of Babylon. Uh, But in truth, he's actually talking about anyone, anywhere, Uh, people who live their lives in rebellion against the God who made them. Uh, This is the heart of what sin or iniquity is. Uh, You see, God is the loving ruler of the world. He made the world and he made us to rule over the world uh, and in doing so to give thanks and honor to him. Uh, The problem is we all reject God as our ruler by living life our own way without him. And by rebelling against God's way, we damage ourselves, we damage each other, we damage the world. And God is not going to let that rebellion go on forever. That's what Habakkuk 2 is all about. It's about that final day. One day his judgment will come, and on that day our rebellious efforts will be in vain. Why? Look at verse 13. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? And then we get this statement, a glorious statement of where history is truly heading. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And now that's why I say that sinners will be swept away. Because the image we get here is, in one sense, an image of the fact that a flood, a huge flood, is coming. A climate disaster, we might say. But in